Who is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. Jesus shows himself to be the prophet that was to be like Moses that we heard of in that first reading, the book of Deuteronomy. The prophecy of of the great prophet that would, would be like Moses that the Lord would raise up to again deliver his people, that he would place his words in his mouth. And Jesus, of course, not only has the words of the Father placed in his mouth to deliver to humanity when he speaks, but he is, in fact, the Word of God. And he comes with the authority of God. This new teaching, this this new way of speaking, the authority, he confirms it. And we see this scattered throughout the Gospels. He confirms it not simply with just words, but with actions. He exercises His authority to confirm the truth, the power of His Word, of His teaching through healings, through miracles, and through what we see today through through exercising those who are possessed and afflicted by evil spirits. It's easy to, uh, to think of this this exercise of Jesus' authority, especially with regard to, to the fallen angels or to demons, is something that was just, just happened during His time. You know, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. And, and we can even come to see evil as just kind of this abstract reality. You know, people don't really do evil. We just make mistakes. We just make mistakes. It is important, it's important to be mindful of the reality that we live in. Again, remember that we are not the creators of it. And so we don't get to change it as we will. We exist in it. We're part of the players in the game. And so to have a proper understanding of the reality that we live in only helps us to flourish more fully in our lives. The Catechism says this in paragraph 409. It says this dramatic situation, this is in the section speaking about the fall, this dramatic situation of the whole world which is in the power of the evil one makes man's life a battle. Church recognizes that because of the fall, the whole world is in the power of the evil one. And then the Catechism goes on, quoting a paragraph from from the document Gaudium et Spes from the Second Vatican Council. The whole of man's history has been the story of our, our dour combat with the powers of evil, stretching, so our Lord tells us, from the very dawn of history until the last day. Finding himself in the midst of the battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right, and it is at great cost to himself, and aided by God's grace, that he succeeds in achieving his own inner integrity. And so this notion of spiritual battle, we can, again, relegate to the past as something maybe that that was more relatable to those of medieval times, but it is very much a part of the reality that we live in. And and so just a, a brief 
a brief teaching today on, on the, the capacity of the powers of evil and, and the way that they affect us, not so much to scare us, but just to inform us so that we can be more aware of the reality that we live in and we can live in accordance with the truth. We can respond to, to the situations that arise in a way that is going to be beneficial to us and is going to be effective in, in defeating our enemy. That it's not simply about being good. Yes, we want to love God, we want to love our neighbor, but in, in the midst of striving to do that, that there is an enemy who seeks to prevent us from doing that. And so just to know him a little bit more. Now I want to caution against two extremes when we come to this topic. The first extreme is, is what we're saying, to pretend that the, the devil's not real, nor, nor the fallen angels, what we call demons. To think that that's not real. The second extreme is to think that they're responsible for everything. Every evil, every sin I commit, the devil made me do it. The devil made me wake up in the middle of the night. The devil gave me that bad dream. The devil made me fail that test. That, that's the opposite extreme, too, that we want to guard against. And again, just to keep in mind that this is simply just for, for a better understanding. We never want to give him too much credit and too much recognition. Our primary trajectory is towards the Lord. We stay focused on Him. We stay, stay facing Him. We recognize when the evil one may be, may be wagging his tail at us. But we don't want to turn completely and just look for Him every day of our lives. If we do that, then He's already succeeded in defeating us a little bit by drawing our gaze away from our ultimate end, our fulfillment, Jesus Christ. So, traditionally, there's, there's a, a number of different ways that the evil one can, can affect, can inflict us. The one that most people think of when we talk about the devil is what we hear in the gospel today. It's possession. That's the worst. Possession not of the soul, possession of the body, where, where a fallen angel or a number of fallen angels have access to the body and are able to control it. As so we see this in, in the different manifestations that, that, that we hear of in the gospel, where the body contorts, maybe the demons use the person's um, capacity to speak, to talk to Jesus. And this too, something that is, is, has been consistent throughout history, whether it be in the lives of the saints or, or just in those who work in the field of exorcism on the front lines. That, that their experience confirms this. Possession is, is usually pretty rare, although if you read from, again, those who are, who are more active in this field, they say that, that it, it's, it's on the rise because of the first extreme that I mentioned, because that, that the world, for the most part, has failed to, to believe in the reality of evil one. And so it become more vulnerable to his attacks. The second level is, is obsession. And this is, it's, it's not as severe as, as possession, but it is, it is, it's more than a simple temptation, which would be with the third category. 
Temptation is the ordinary way that we all experience the attacks of the evil, predominantly in our minds. As a fallen angel, he seeks to sow lies to combat Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Because the more that we, we, we take hold of those lies, we believe them, the more and more he can lead us astray. The more and more he can dominate, and the more and more he can claim a hold of our own soul. The level of obsession is, is, is a little more than just that, just simple temptation. There's an actual affliction. And the word oppression itself kind of connotes that. There's just heaviness, a burden, maybe a darkness that just kind of lingers and prevents one from living in the fullness of joy or freedom. Oftentimes when we think of addictions, not that every addiction is demonically driven. Again, I make that clear too. But oftentimes they work together. That if there is an addiction, whether it be to alcohol, whether it be, be to drugs, whether it be to pornography, that there is a, a, a physiological change in our, in our brain, but usually it becomes an open door for the fallen angels to enhance, to enhance the addiction, to make it worse, and to, to, to worsen our experience of life. And so creeps in feelings of despair, of hopelessness, and maybe even a wishing for death as opposed to this, because of the bondage. So how does all this happen? I mean, does, does the devil just all of a sudden jump on us? How, do, how does one progress in these levels of demonic affliction? Well, simply from, from temptation to oppression to obsession would be a, a giving in to temptation. Sin, outright sin. Specifically mortal sin that is not repented of. And when it becomes habitual, that is something that I do over and over again, then I give more and more access to the powers of darkness. Again, to, to remember, I've, I've said this before, it's, it's, you know, you're in a war and you can't be neutral. We can't say, I'm sitting this one out. We don't have that choice. We either engage, or if we don't engage, by default, we, we set ourselves up to be more vulnerable to attack by the enemy. He doesn't see white flags, and he don't play by those rules. And so, the more and more we, we live apart from God, we choose not to follow him intentionally and to seek to grow in communion with him, to be more faithful to his gospel and to deepen our relationship with him, the more we sin, sin is a, a turning away from God. The only way we turn is towards the other side. And so we just begin to open doors. And it's like invitations. Come on in, guys. Set up shop. And the fallen angels will do that. The more and more we move away, the more they'll come in. And it makes it harder for us. They limit our freedom to choose the good. They darken our ability to see the good so that we can choose it. 
or even if we do see it and we want it, there's usually a lot of fear and again, the sense of despair that I, I can't do that. I don't want to let go. What's going to happen? <laughs> and so it makes it harder and harder to turn. Some of the more dramatic ways that, that we, can, we can experience this type of oppression or even possession um, would be actually living in mortal sin long enough, just, just an obstinate, um, obstinance towards any repentance, a life that's steeped in mortal sin, can, can in fact lead to possession. You have the extreme cases where you have folks that will consecrate themselves or their children to Satan. There's a wide open door and, and, and very good chance for possession to follow upon that. And then to just invite, invite him or the fallen angels into our own lives, into our souls, is again another way to fall into that danger. One other way, and I, this, this goes with the category of mortal sin, but, but it's something that's becoming more prevalent in our times, and we don't necessarily talk about it. It's become popularized through, through the media and stuff, is, is through the, the use and the experimentation with one Ouija boards, psychics, fortune tellers, mediums, tarot card readers, and the like. Those who dabble in black magic. Now, not everybody who does that, not all psychics are fooling with, with demons. Some of them are just straight up phony. But some of them are. And they may not know it. And I say this I, particularly with, with regard to mediums, because there's a way that, that, that the evil one uses that to prey on, on on those who are in desolation. Mediums usually speak to, to, to the souls of the dead, right? And so it's become commonplace when I lose a loved one because of the pain and the grief, I, I want to know that they're okay. And so it's, it's, it's become more and more popular to go consult a medium. Can you just contact my deceased loved one? I just need to know that they're okay. And the medium will come back and say, yeah, your loved one's okay, has this message for you. Well, what's the problem with that? One, we're seeking, we're seeking power beyond what the Lord has given us. And even if somebody does has, have that power, that ability, a preternatural gift, the discernment of it is always key. Because this is, this is how the evil one works. He's very subtle. If he knows we are weak, we are broken, we are hurting, he will use that vulnerability to trash us. And so we go to a medium and they say, okay, this is what your loved one says. Oh, it fills me with consolation. It fills me with hope. Okay, well the next time something bad happens, am I going to Jesus or am I going to the medium? We begin to shift our trust and our faith in God, in his revealed word, and in his living presence in my life to that of, of another human being. And this is the reality. Angels can enlighten us. Good angels and bad angels. They have access to our memory and our imagination, to our, to our intellectual faculties. And so they can illuminate us to give us knowledge that is beyond our normal, natural capacity. 
and they watch us. Again, this is the reality that we live in. The angels are with us. The good angels and the fallen angels. And so they observe. They know what has happened to us. They know what we've said. They know some of the interactions that we have had with our loved ones that have died. And so they can illuminate somebody else as to that, that event, that conversation as a way to hook us. How did that person know that? They shouldn't know that. I haven't told anybody about that conversation. Well, a fallen angel was watching. And he's now using it to draw me more and more away from the Lord and more and more to this person. When I do that, the doors begin to open. Not to Christ but to the powers of darkness. And so the danger of that. So we've got the extreme of cases where there's just consecration and outright gift of ourselves, of our loved ones, to the evil one. You've got persistence in mortal sin, specifically the sins against the first commandment where we fool with divination, the Ouija boards, the mediums, the psychics. Also extreme sexual sin can can be a cause of this. And then just normal temptation. The fight in our, in our will to choose good or to choose evil. And so how do we combat it? And that's the good news. I mean, that's what we see in the Gospel. That Jesus comes with a new authority. That the fallen angels, though they may be superior to us in power, they are infinitely weak before Almighty God. That Jesus Christ handles them like that. And if we are baptized into Christ, then we share in that power, we share in that authority, and so there's no need to be afraid. To seek Him. To remain united to the One who has the ultimate authority. To stay in communion with Him. In order that He may do in our lives what we see Him doing in the gospel today. Driving out evil. And so the best remedy for this, if we recognize maybe the presence of evil in our own lives, is confession, remaining in a state of grace, or doing our best to do that, frequent reception of Holy Communion in a state of grace, Eucharistic adoration, prayer and study of Scripture and just striving to live the Gospel in our lives. I'll read to just a, a quote, quote or two from Father Gabriel Amorth who was for the longest time the exorcist of Rome both under St. John Paul II under Pope Benedict and <coughs> just recently died when asking about this about the manifestations of the evil one in people's lives, whether it be obsession, whether it be possession, what's, what do we do? And of course, in cases of possession, full-blown possession, we have the solemn rite of exorcism. But he would say this. He said, in my experience, a good general confession, which I always recommend as a starting point, 
in conjunction with an intense life of prayer and grace is sufficient to end the afflictions. Without prayer and grace, exorcisms are ineffective. So the Lord has given us everything at our disposal. The solemn rite of exorcism is is something extra, but it's not the initial go-to that we often think of because of of the way Hollywood has, has kind of educated us when it comes to the battle against Satan. The primary way to fight is through the sacraments. The sacrament of confession first and foremost. And then receiving Holy Communion. Fervently. In a state of grace. And allowing the Lord to occupy our souls. And to dispossess anything that the evil one has taken, taken under his reign. So in conclusion, too, just a word of encouragement, again, to recap, to not be afraid, to not see the devil behind everything, but to not discount or discredit his presence and his hatred for you. He hates anything that God has created. And he wants to destroy all. And so to take that seriously, just to be aware of the reality in which we live, we find ourselves, that it is a battle, but that we have more weapons to engage in the battle to defeat the evil one than we can ask or imagine. And so to take advantage of that, to avail ourselves, and that also to pray for our loved ones, those maybe who we may see more clearly the manifestation of evil in their lives. To pray for them, to recognize that the Lord has given us the authority to do that. Not that we go calling the evil one out by name. Don't do that. But to pray against him intentionally when you lift those loved ones up. Lord Jesus, free. Free this my son. From the bondage that he is in. Open his heart to receive the gospel. Free my husband. Blessed Mother, come against the powers of darkness that afflict him and that keep him from living with more joy, that keep him from flourishing, that keep him from living a life of freedom that Christ has won for us. So recourse to the rosary as a powerful spiritual weapon in the battle calling upon St. Michael, the archangel, and the the traditional prayer to him, and also invoking your angel and the guardian angels of your loved ones to fight. To fight. They already do that. That's part of their nature. That's part of their job. But when we enlist them, we ask them personally for their help, they up it a little bit. And the more we do that, the more freedom we will see. We will recognize the authority, this new authority that belongs to Jesus Christ and that He shares with all of those who are united to His mystical body. 